thank the Lord for the vision of my dad and for the way you guys have bought in to the vision uh, of my dad and my mom uh, here at, at Calvary Baptist Church. And I believe that while you guys have seen some miraculous things over the past few years, bigger and better things are out ahead. And God has some amazing things in store uh, for Calvary Baptist Church. This morning, as I was just getting my heart prepared to preach, I, I thought about the story my dad used to tell. Maybe he's told it recently, but uh, the story of the missionary who was called out of a, a, a local church and exciting church where things were happening, souls were being saved, and that missionary and his wife uh, left and went to a foreign country, and they noticed uh, a few years into their mission there in that foreign country, they, they, whereas they used to receive care packages and letters and notes of encouragement from their church family, those became few and far between. In fact, they eventually just stopped, and so uh, they planned a furlough trip back home, and uh, the story goes that my dad used to tell that uh, that when they came home, they got in their car and they drove down to the church that was their sending church. And when they got closer to the church, they noticed that the grass was grown up and that things looked vacant. And sure enough, the walls had been boarded up, the windows had been, the windows rather had been boarded up, the doors had been boarded up, and their hearts just sank within them. And uh, he wanted to get a glimpse of that auditorium of that church that he grew up in, the church where he was called to preach. And he remembered that uh, up at the front of the auditorium, there was the verse from Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 18. It said, where there is no vision, the people perish. And he said, I want to get back in there and I want to see the auditorium where God called me to preach and see that sign and just relive some of those old memories. And so the story goes that he pried one of those boards back and when he did, a, a beam of light flew into the auditorium there and just so happened that that beam of light cast right on the auditorium, right up on the stage where that verse was, where there is no vision, the people perish. But one thing had changed and the W of the word where had fallen off. And this is what it said, here there is no vision, the people perish. And I wanna thank the Lord that six and a half years after the Lord had called Amber and I to California, and we've been there serving the Lord and we get to come back today, uh, that there is still vision in this church. And I'm thankful that there's a, a faithful congregation that's standing behind your pastor and pastor's wife and the leadership here serving the Lord. And let me just encourage you to finish well. We just heard that great song, wonderful song. And I thought about the apostle Paul who said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. And let that be said about Calvary Baptist Church. It's good to be here this morning. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter one. I wanna be an encouragement to you and I, I'm taking note of what time it is and I'll do my best to preach fast this morning. This is only about a two hour message and so, uh, all right. Y'all blame Rodney if I preach for two hours, all right? He said it's all right. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's only about an hour and 45 minutes. And so, uh, 1 Peter chapter one, let's jump into verse number one and this is the word of the Lord. The Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, 
that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'm gonna preach a brief message to you this morning simply entitled, A Lively Hope. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity we have to be gathered together in this beautiful place to worship your wonderful name. We thank you for the good music that we've enjoyed. We thank you for the time of prayer that we've benefited from and for the fellowship and for the teaching of your word. It's been such a blessing. And now, as we come to this important moment, the preaching of the word of God, I pray that you would arrest our attention. I pray that our hearts would be captivated by your spirit as we look into this perfect law of liberty and as we search the unsearchable riches of Christ, as we look into this word and into this text today, open our hearts and minds, illuminate this text, Holy Spirit, by your power, and may you do a a wonderful work. Lord, we pray that if there might be someone here that's lost and doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that you would reveal to them their need of salvation and that they would see Christ, Jesus, as the only Savior of mankind and that they would respond in faith Uh, and trust in the finished work of Christ for their salvation. Create us in Christ Jesus today. May you be honored and glorified through all that is said and done. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, the title of the message today is A Lively Hope. And I wanna ask a couple of questions and I want you to be honest with yourself this morning as you answer these in your heart. Do you have hope today? Have you lost hope today? And do you want hope? Today, I'm excited about the message I'm gonna bring because I realize that it's entirely possible that there's someone who walked into this building today hopeless. But you can walk out by God's grace hopeful when you come to the realization that hope is alive. Uh, I wanna say this morning that hope is not some fleeting emotion that we are chasing today. Uh, What I'm not talking about today when we use the word hope, I'm not talking about the kind of hope that a person has when they go to the convenience store and buy a lottery ticket and get out a coin and start to scratch it off and hope that they're going to hit big on that lottery ticket. It's a a fat chance. It's not likely it's going to happen, but they're kind of crossing their fingers and their toes and hoping that that's going to be, this is going to be the day when they finally hit it big. That's not the kind of hope I want to talk to you about Today, the, the hope that I'm preaching to you about this morning is what Peter calls in verse number three of our text, a lively hope. I looked up that word hope and I found it interesting. It's a, a Greek word uh, pronounced el peace, which means an expectation. And while that definition may not be super interesting, what I did find fascinating about this definition is that it has two different uh, meanings in the concordance. It has uh, two different contexts, if you will. The first one is what I'm going to refer to as a pessimistic context. In fact, I'm going to show you the first definition in Strong's concordance is that hope means an expectation of evil. Now, There may be someone here this morning who would say, Pastor, if I have any hope, or if I could say that I have any hope whatsoever today, that is the kind of hope that I have, an expectation that bad things are about to happen in my life. Uh, I found uh, two separate articles in my study as I was preparing for this message that seemed to indicate that most Americans in 2023 have no hope. 
that all they have is a hope that could be expressed as an expectation of bad things to come. In fact, I took a screenshot on my computer so you could see these top two articles that popped up when I was doing this research. The Hill on March 27th said, the state of America in 2023 is confusion and pessimism. The Gallup Research website January 3rd said Americans are largely pessimistic about U.S. prospects in 2023. And maybe you're here this morning, and if, if you could say you have any hope, all the hope that you have is that you have an expectation that things are only going to get worse. You can only see the glass as being half empty and not half full. Maybe you heard, as I did, about the duck hunter who purchased a dog, and this dog had the amazing ability to walk on the water. And he couldn't believe it. He saw it in a classified ad and he thought this can't be real. And he goes and he uh, said, he talks to this man. The guy says, sure enough, man, this dog will walk on the water. And so he paid the money uh, to buy this dog. And, and he and his uh, pessimistic duck hunter buddy went out hunting. And he said, uh, listen, I, I've got this dog. I bought this dog that can walk on the water. And uh, he said, we're going to see if this really works out. So a flock of ducks came flying over. Is that what you call it, a flock of ducks? I'm not a hunter, so I don't know. Don't, don't judge me, all right? I'm from SoCal. Uh, so we don't do duck hunting in SoCal, all right? Um, but anyway, a flock, or whatever you call it, of ducks came flying across. They took their shotguns out, boom, pulled the trigger, and those ducks came flying down. And, and, and Brother Rodney, sure enough, that dog took off across that water and walked right across the top of that water, grabbed those ducks, and retrieved them and brought them back. The only thing wet was his paws when he got back. Well, they were traveling back to the house later that, that afternoon, and his pessimistic hunting buddy says, man, it's too bad about your dog. He said, what are you talking about? He said, man, I got this dog that can walk on water. What do you mean? And the man replied, too bad you got a dog that can't swim. <laughs> you know, sometimes if we're not careful, if we don't guard our spirit, we can begin to look around at the circumstances within our world today and begin to lose our expectation of good. We can say things like this, the wrong person's occupying the White House, the economy is too slow, gas prices are too high. By the way, I paid $5.49 a gallon for gas the last time I paid for gas in California, so don't complain too bad, all right? I can handle $3.49 after paying $5.49. But sometimes we'll think, man, gas prices are just too high. My bills are too high. My income's not enough, and on and on. And the people of God who should be filled with a lively hope find themselves mimicking the pessimistic, hopeless culture around them. A hope that could only be described as an expectation of bad. But that's not the hope that I came to talk about today. And that's not the hope offered in 1 Peter chapter 1. In fact, the second definition that I found in my concordance of hope is that it is an expectation, not of evil, but an but a expectation of good. And while that first definition is a pessimistic view, this second definition is what I'm going to call the positive view of hope. Strong's concordance defines this type of hope as a joyful and confident expectation. A, a joyful and a confident expectation. And that's the hope. Listen, that's the hope that Jesus Christ offers to you and to me today. Anybody here interested in that kind of hope this morning? Well, let's look at our Bibles and see how we can find that kind of hope. Notice number one, if you would, this morning, a call to honor. A, a call to honor in First Peter chapter one. We find this call to honor in First Peter 1, 3. Notice Peter's first words in verse number three when he says, blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Underline that word blessed. It's a word that simply means to be praised. Now listen to this word. It means something that is adorable. That's what the concordance said. Something that is worthy to be praised, something that is adorable. Now forgive this illustration, but this is where my mind went when I saw the word adorable. Years ago when we were kids, uh, now, I don't think my memories fail me, but I think this is a true story, but uh, just bear with me here, all right? Mom and dad can correct me if I'm wrong, but I can remember when we were kids, sometimes, even though we may not have had family or friends that were having babies at Ireland Memorial Hospital, sometimes we would just get on the elevator and ride up to the third floor, I think it is, of Ireland Memorial Hospital. This is before they had all the security out there and all of that, and we would go up there and we would just sit there and we'd watch the little babies that had just been born, and those nurses would take those babies. They'd wash those babies and put them in their new outfits and put that little hat on them. And you'd see people standing there at the, at the maternity ward of Ireland Memorial Hospital looking through the window and they'd say, look at that little baby's chubby cheeks. Aren't they adorable? Look at those, that baby's little toes. Aren't they adorable? Look at his little nose. Look at that, look at that girl's head of hair. Isn't that adorable? And you know what they were doing? Listen to this. They were, they, they were blessing those children. This is what I mean. They were focusing on the distinct qualities of that baby that made it special. And you know something? In essence, that's worship. That's what we were created by God to do, to worship him, to focus on his distinct qualities, those unique, non-communicable attributes that make God who he is, and to adore him for how great he is. And that's what Peter is saying. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, you were created to worship God. You were created to look at God through his word and look at God through his creation and look at God through the Lord Jesus Christ and see an amazing, wonderful God. We sing that song, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. And Peter says, hey, the Lord is worthy of blessing. The Lord is worthy of adoration. Peter's inviting these believers. Hey, you know what you need to do right now? Bless the Lord. Adore the Lord. You know, David said in Psalm 34, one, listen to this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know what David was saying? I'm gonna look at those things that make God who he is. I'm gonna look for those things, those qualities, those attributes, those characteristics about God that make him who he is. I will choose to bless the Lord at all times. You see, worship is a choice. Worship is when we get our eyes on, off the circumstances and get our eyes on a wonderful creator who is God, who is sovereign, who's seated on his throne, who's above all and through all and in you all, the Bible says, and worship him for who he is. Oh, David said, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord, Psalm 34, 2. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, David said, and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. He said in verse number eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you know what? That's exactly what these people were doing. Would you notice in verse number six, we see their praise quickly now. Notice they, uh, uh, Peter says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Then jump down to verse number eight. He's saying, you rejoice in Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, look at this, ye love in whom, though now you see him not yet believing, here it comes again, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You rejoice. 
You love. You rejoice. You know what the word rejoice means? It means to exalt. It means to feel or show. Listen, triumphant elation or jubilation, it means to be exceeding glad. You know, in the long list of things that could be said about Calvary Baptist Church, I mean, things that could honestly be said about this church, things that could be said like you're friendly or you're generous or you're welcoming or you're first class or you're witnessing. All those are true about this church. But one of the things that you should hope would be said about Calvary Baptist Church is that this is a rejoicing, praising church. I love that Peter doesn't just say that this group of believers is rejoicing, but you notice he said, wherein you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice. You know why they were greatly rejoicing? Listen now, because a great God deserves great praise. Let me back up and hit that one more time. I said a great God deserves great praise. Now, if you deserve or if you worship and serve a mediocre God, then he can deserve mediocre praise. But we don't serve a mediocre halfway God. We serve a good God. We serve a powerful God. We serve a mighty God. We serve a great God who's worthy of great praise. And man, these people are praising God. You know, one of the, listen to this. One of the definitions I saw for the word rejoice in my, in my concordance means to jump for joy. He says, you're greatly jumping for joy. You know, the choir sang the song this morning, everybody will be happy over there. And I say a full hearty amen to that. But can I say something? Believers ought to be happy over here. Help me now. Come on. I know I'm in North Carolina this morning. I feel some preaching. Come on now. Pray for me. Hey, we are going to be happy over there, but we can be happy over here. We got something to be happy about over here, church family. We have a good God over here. He's good over there, but he's good over here. He's a God who will never leave and never forsake. He'll never leave your side. He'll always be faithful and steadfast and the same yesterday and today and forever. We have a great God who deserves great praise. And these people recognize that. Hey, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and then you might have it more abundantly. I'm not waiting on life. I have life today. Life is the present possession of the believer. So I can rejoice in the Lord greatly. This was a group of believers in 1 Peter 1 that were rejoicing. They had the joy of the Lord. In fact, look down if you would at verse, uh, look at verse number eight. He says that they had a joy that was unspeakable. You see it? Joy, unspeakable and full of glory. John Poole said it means joy which cannot be expressed with words. John Gill said it refers to a joy that not only unbelievers intermeddle not with, know nothing of, which entirely passes their understanding, but is such as saints themselves cannot speak out or give a full and distinct account of. Do you have that kind of joy in your heart this morning? A joy that you can't really put it into words. Paul said this in Philippians 4, 4, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know what Paul said in Acts 20, 24? Oh, I wanna finish my course with joy. Hey, they sang it this morning, finish well. You wanna know know what it means to finish well? Finish with joy in your heart. Don't get bitter. Don't get all torn up and out of the way and been out of shape. Listen, hey, keep your eyes on Jesus and realize, you know what, we, we do live in tough times and we, don't, we may not think that the right person is in the White House and we may think that the economy's not so good and our, our income's not enough and our outgo's too much, but at the same time, we got something to rejoice about. There's a God in heaven who's on his throne and we're gonna continue worshiping and serving him and rejoicing in him. That's what this group was doing. Now, we might tend to believe or we might tend to think that the people 
that praise like this, who have a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory, a great rejoicing might be people whose lives are going great. Things must really be going good for these people in 1 Peter chapter one. But actually, listen now, nothing could be further from the truth. Not only do you see their praise, but look at this. We see their pain in verse number six. Look what he says. Now watch this. Everybody get on with me right here. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, watch it, though we might say in spite of the fact that now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. The word heaviness speaks of distress, sorrow, and grief. And the word temptations there is not referring to an enticement to sin. It's actually referring to adversity, affliction, trouble. Dr. J. Vernon McGee said the Christian hope in a time of trial would be an adequate title for Peter's first epistle. It's important to note the titles given by Peter in verse number one. Go back to verse number one. And notice that he refers to these believers as strangers scattered. I would note that. Strangers scattered. What does that mean? Well, Strangers was the designation peculiarly given to the Jews in their dispersed state throughout the world ever since the Babylonian captivity. Now, Blackaby referred to these people as pilgrims of the dispersion. The Greek word diaspora, which is behind that phrase, refers to Jews who were separated from their homeland. Now watch this, watch this. There's much that can be said about these titles given by Peter, but here's what he's saying. These people are not living in a convenient season of life. These people are living in a time of heaviness. These are people are living, they're not living in their hometown. They're not living peacefully surrounded by supporting friends and loving family. They're not laying up wealth and living large. Listen, these are people who knew what it was to face racial and religious persecution. These were people who knew what it was to feel the burdens and the pressures of life. This is why Peter calls it heaviness, because that's exactly what it was. It was heavy. Now, you need to see these people. They're going through it. They're separated from their friends. They're separated from their family. They're in a foreign land where they're mistreated and abused and, and persecuted. I mean, they have heavy burdens laying on their back. Are y'all listening this morning? And yet... They had an unspeakable joy. They had an, listen to this. They had an indescribable song of praise in their intense season of pain. Now, maybe you walked in here this morning thinking that's not possible. Like as soon as, listen, as soon as my situation gets better, I'm gonna give out a big praise to God. Like when that bill gets paid, I'm gonna give a big praise to God. When I get that, that raise that I've been looking for, I'm gonna give a big praise to God. When my marriage gets better, when my kids get right, whenever that prayer gets answered, I'm gonna give a big praise to God. And Peter says, hey, I wanna tell you about a church that was weighed down real heavy and right under the midst of that burden. You know what they're doing? They're lifting their hands in praise to a great God. How? Like, Let's ask the question for a second. These are real human beings. These ain't, uh, this isn't a, a fairy tale. These are real people just like you and just like me. So why would you praise right in the middle of pain? How can you rejoice as you're being rejected and persecuted? And Peter tells us in verse number two, it's because of their pardon. Look at verse number two. Yes, now before we get to verse number two, don't forget he has called them strangers scattered. That's like a title that he's kind of, 
put on them. And that title reveals their lack of identity. These are pilgrims in a foreign land. It reveals their pain. But now Peter has another title in verse number two. Look at the very first word of verse number two. Elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Black could be said election was a concept previously reserved for God's chosen people, the Jews. But Peter used it here, listen, for all people who believe in Jesus. Now, let me be very clear. This verse is not teaching irresistible grace. This verse is not teaching unconditional election. Aren't you thankful this morning for a salvation from God that isn't just for a select few? God has made it possible for whosoever will to be saved. Let me be very clear about that. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all, that all should come to repentance. Uh, Titus 2, 11 says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And 1 John 2, 2 says that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So this is not teaching us that there's only a select few that God has chosen to salvation, but this is basically what the Bible is teaching us is that God had been merciful to these people to save them. These were people, check this out, the people Peter's writing to, these were people who recognized they were sinful human beings who had been shown mercy by a merciful, gracious God, and that is the basis for their rejoicing. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Can I tell you this morning? Hey, listen to me, please. Can I declare the gospel to you this morning? We are all sinners. You say, Zach, I grew up in Union Grove. We are all sinners. I grew up in the Baptist church. We are all sinners. My dad's a Baptist pastor. My grandparents are buried in the Baptist cemetery. We are all sinners. There is none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says there is none that doeth good. No, not one. And why do we sin? Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We sin because we were born sinners. Adrian Rogers says, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We have a sin nature. We were born with a sin nature, right? The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful above all things and they're desperately wicked. In sin did our mothers conceive us. We were born sinners, therefore we sin. And there is a penalty to be paid for sinful people. And the Bible says, listen, that the wages of sin is death. Now, can we pause right there and just breathe in the oxygen of that for a second? That's bad news for every one of us this morning. We're all sinners and the wages of sin is death. God is holy, we are sinners. Death is the penalty for sin. But here comes some reason for rejoicing. Are you ready? Verse number three of our text, if you wanna look at it, 1 Peter 1, 3. Come on now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. 
Hey, that's good news, family. I'm telling you, that's good news this morning. When your world is falling apart, hey, when it's midnight in your life, when you're going through the deepest valley, you have two reasons to rejoice. You may not be able to rejoice in gas prices or in your income or your health condition. You may not be able to rejoice in that, but I'm going to give you two things that you can always rejoice in. Are you ready? Here's number one, God's mercy. Hey, is God holy? Yes or no? He is absolutely holy. Is God just? Yes or no? Absolutely. But Peter wants us to come with grips with another reality, and that is this. God is holy. God is just. But hey, good news. Just as God is holy, just as God is just, God is merciful this morning. The word mercy, listen to this definition. This will bless somebody. Kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted joined with a desire to help them. God looks down at sinful people and says, you've sinned, I'm holy, you deserve my justice, you deserve my judgment, you deserve to be condemned. But there's another part of me that's my mercy, and in my mercy, I am extending an opportunity for you to be rescued. I'm extending an opportunity for you to be delivered. And so what does he do? What does a merciful God do? Listen to me this morning. Here's what he does. He comes on a rescue mission to save humanity from their sins. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And listen to this. 1 John 3.16 says, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. I love the way Peter says it here. It's not just mercy. It is abundant mercy. Hey, you may have walked into this building this morning thinking, Pastor Uh, You don't know what a sinner I am. You don't know how I've messed up my life. You don't know the things I've done. If you knew half of the things I've done, you'd recognize I'm a worthless, guilty, no good, rotten sinner. And friend, I may not know what a sinner you are, but I know what a savior he is. He's a savior that has abundant mercy. He's a savior that will deliver you from your penalty of sin. And that's what Peter says in, in, uh, in that verse, in verse number two. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, what did he do because he has abundant mercy? He says, he hath begotten us again. We can always rejoice in God's mercy. We can always rejoice in God's salvation. The phrase begotten us again literally speaks of being born again or given new life. You see, The greatest need of humanity is not religion. Don't miss this. The greatest need of humanity is not reformation. The greatest need of humanity is regeneration. We don't need a God that'll just make us better. We don't need a God who will just change us and and dress us up on our way to hell. We need a God who can restore life into a lifeless spirit. That's exactly what God offers to us through faith in his son's death upon the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Alistair Begg said, the story of a believer is, I was dead, but Jesus has made me alive. And you see, listen now, we're almost done. This is why they could rejoice. Was everything going perfectly from a human perspective? No. They were experiencing heaviness. Are y'all listening? They were experiencing temptations, but they could rejoice because they knew that there was a God in heaven who was merciful and they had experienced his mercy and salvation. He had raised them to new spiritual life, and that new spiritual life, last of all, gave them a cause for hope. I wanna pull that up there for you. A cause for hope. And here we are, back to the word we began with today, an expectation 
of good. And I think that it's here that we find another reason for rejoicing. They were rejoicing in the fact that, yes, God was merciful and God had saved them. He had forgiven them of their sins. He had given them spiritual life. But there was more to their rejoicing. And I love the way it's worded in verse number three. Would you go back there and look at it? First Peter chapter one and verse number three. Look what Peter says to this suffering congregation, to these suffering Christians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, watch it, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so in spite of the surrounding pain, in spite of the persecution and the pressures of life, in spite, listen, in spite of the hurt, they had hope. I'm not looking out at a bunch of people this morning who've never been hurt. In fact, I'm looking out at a group of people who've probably experienced a lot of hurt. You may be going through hurt right now, but here's what I came to tell you this morning. Because of Jesus Christ, you can have hope in the midst of hurt. You don't have to shrink back in the shadows and say, you don't understand what happened to me when I was a child. You don't understand the situation I'm going through. Listen, friend, I understand we live in a sin-fallen world. We live in a sin-cursed earth that's filled with hurt. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again so that we could have hope right in the midst of hurt. Thank God for that. So what is this lively hope that caused them to praise their way through the pain? Two things I want to give you, and I'll be done. Letter A, let's notice their reservation in verses four and five. Now, did you notice what he says in verse number four? This lively hope, he says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and it fadeth not away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, remember, these were... Strangers, these were scattered strangers, they were pilgrims, but I love this. Peter reminds them, I know you're not in your homeland today, but you have a homeland. And by the way, your homeland's not where you're currently located. And let me just go a step further. Hey, church, your homeland's not even in Jerusalem. He didn't say your reservation reserved for you in Jerusalem. He said, You have a inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, faith's not away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that good? It's not a temporary place that's connected to this sin-cursed earth. It's in heaven. And I thought about this. It's almost as if Peter is echoing a message that was preached to him by none other than Jesus Christ himself. John 14. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And man, these guys are just, they're, they're discouraged. They're, they're, they have heaviness. They're in a time of burdening. And you know what? Jesus looks at him and says, hey guys, let not your hearts be troubled. I know you got a lot on your plate. I know you're hurt right now. I know what you're going to go through. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I got some good news for you guys. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, hey, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Don't lose hope. Oh, you're gonna go through hurt. You're gonna have some heavy, heavy, heavy burdens on you. And you're gonna go through some times when you feel like you can't go on. I'm gonna give you some hope for your hurt. There's a place that's waiting for you, a reservation in heaven and it's holy and it's harmless and it's undefiled. It's reserved in heaven for you. 
Peter's writing to people who didn't have much to begin with, but he wants to remind them of the reservation that's been secured for them. It's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, it's reserved. In other words, it's a sure thing. Nothing can change it. Hey, listen, the stock market may rise, the stock market may fall. Your reservation is sure. The economy may be good, the economy may be bad. Your reservation isn't fading, it's reserved in heaven for you. And by the way, how empty, and maybe you're here this morning, how empty would it be to live your life with only hope in this world? How empty is it to live life with only this life in view? When all you can see is your bank account, when all you can see is your retirement fund, when all you can see is your car and your house and your possessions, that is an empty way to live your life here on earth. In fact, Jesus said this. Listen, I'm just about done, but don't miss it. He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hey, listen to me this morning. I'm just about done. But when, you're, when you build your life upon the foundations of human economics or physical possessions or mental acuity, prepare to be disappointed and to become frustrated and pessimistic. You know what you need to do? Build your life on a firm foundation. A sure thing something that will never fade away, something that will never go up or down, something that is reserved in heaven for you, and that is your reservation. I'm not saying you should spend money foolishly or that you shouldn't have possessions or make financial investments, but keep all that in perspective. Keep your eyes on the reservation that cannot and will not change. He says, hey, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to have hope in the midst of hurt. How? By remembering you have a reservation. But check this out, the last thing, by remembering Jesus' resurrection. Now, this is gonna bless somebody this morning. Look at verse number three. Blessed be the God. Hey, adore God. Give him praise. He's worthy of praise, you guys. I know you're going through hurt. But bless the Lord at all times. Let his praise be continual in your mouth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope. How did he do it? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So maybe you're here this morning and you're a little bit skeptical about heaven and skeptical about living your life with eternity in view. And for the, for the, past few years of your life, past little bit of your life, all you can think about is the here and now and the temporal. Zach, how can I live with a confidence in my heart that there really is a heaven and that there really is a reservation waiting on me? And here's the answer, because our hope is alive. How can we have live knowing assuredly that this life is not all there is and that there's a life to come? Here's the answer, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Listen to this, I'm done. Dr. Tony Evans said this. Now this is good, so don't mess it. Peter enters into praise for the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who saved us because of his great mercy, not because of our own worthiness. He describes this salvation as a new birth into a living hope, which is a positive expectation about the future. Listen to what he says, and I'm done. When you were born the first time, it was into a dead hope. You were born to die, but through the resurrection of Jesus, there is a better future on the horizon. Last thing, 
Jesus' resurrection guarantees our own. We have a living Savior who's in heaven today, interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of God. And you know what? As long as he's alive, we got nothing to worry about. He's in control. All things are under his feet. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so listen, are we gonna go through hurt? You better believe it, we're gonna go through hurt. You may face hurt tomorrow. You may face hurt today. But right in the midst of hurt, you can have hope. You know why? Because you have a reservation, and that reservation is secured through Jesus' resurrection. Let's bow our heads. We have a lively hope this morning. You know what? We can finish well. They sang that song a little bit ago. You can finish well. But Zach, you don't know about what I'm going through. No, I don't know what you're going through, but you can finish well. Zach, you don't understand about my health condition and the doctor's diagnosis of what's going on. I mean, there's not much hope. No, there is hope. You know why? Because Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead and you have eternal life through Jesus Christ if you've placed your faith in his finished work. So trust in him. Rest in him. Find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Hey, maybe you're here this morning and you can just be honest. Let's just be honest for a second. We're just about to be dismissed. Can we be honest with each other for a minute? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because this is a personal question. But it's very possible there are some people in a large crowd of this size that would have to be honest to say, I don't have hope. Out of those two definitions, the pessimistic definition of hope or the positive view of hope, man, my life has been pessimistic. All I can focus on is the discouraging points of life and the disappointments of life and the diseases of life. And maybe you'd be here this morning, not raising your hand in the air physically, but in your heart, you'd raise your hand and say, that's me, I have no hope. Hey, friend, I came to tell you there's hope in Jesus this morning. Run to him. He's alive. He's well. All is under his feet. Maybe you're here this morning and you say you don't have hope because you've never been saved. Well, friend, that's one of the reasons we're having this service this morning is so that you can be saved. The Bible again says that God is not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want you to perish. God doesn't want you to go to hell. He has been abundantly merciful and has offered a gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and you can be saved today. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Would you trust in Jesus today? Father, I pray that you would help these folks this morning as we do business with you before we leave out this morning. Do a mighty work in our hearts. Help us to find hope where there was hurt through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. And our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Boy, I appreciate the wonderful, wonderful message. And I'm so glad, man, we can walk out of here today saying, thank God I've got a great hope, an abundant hope. I want to ask, I do want to ask a question or two. First of all, with heads bowed and eyes closed, how many are here this morning? And this is completely between you and the Lord, just you and the Lord personally. How many are here this morning would say, preacher, between me and the Lord, if I died right now, I know beyond a shadow of any doubt, I know that I'm on my way to heaven. And if you can say that today, you would just very quietly slip up your hand 
And you can take it right back down again. Thank you so much. What a joy. Yeah. What a joy. But I want to ask you another question. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many are here this morning in this room and you would say, Pastor, if I died, I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to be honest. This is between me and the Lord. I, preacher, if I died, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. And I care enough to slip up my hand before the Lord, but let the pastor pray for me. If that's you right now with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, you just slip your hand up right now. Let me pray for you. Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I see some hands. I see some hands. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Is there somebody else? Somebody else right now. You'd slip your hand up. You'd say, preacher, it's me. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that little hand right there. Thank you, buddy. Is there anybody else? I see your hand right back there. Thank you, honey. Somebody else? I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody? Hey, Christians, help me know it's time to pray. It's time to pray. In just a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to invite our personal workers, if they would, just very quietly, in just a moment, I'm going to ask them just to slip out and make their way to the altars. If you raised your hand this morning and said, Brother Pope, I am not sure if I died, I would go to heaven. I'm going to tell you, this is what I want you to do. In just a moment, I want you to slide out of that place wherever you're at. I want you to just get down here just as quick as you can. And we have somebody down here with a Bible who wants to just very quietly take that Bible and show you how you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. We want you to have that hope that Brother Zach was preaching about today. So I want you to come. But wait a minute. I wonder if there's some folks here this morning and you'd say, Preacher, I am saved, but I'm going to be honest with you. Man, I'm going through a dark time right now. Brother Zach didn't know it when he preached this message, but my goodness, talk about heaviness. I'm going through some heaviness right now. It might be your marriage. It might be your family. It might be your health. It might be your home. It might be a host of other things, but you'd say, the preacher didn't even know it, but I'm going through some darkness right now. And oh my, if I've ever needed hope, I need hope right now. And preacher, I need you to pray with me about that. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, very quietly around the house, right now, you just slip your hand up right now and say, it's me, preacher, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Yep, yep, wow, wow, wow. A lot of hands, a lot of hands, yes. They're, they're still going up, a lot of hands. Oh my, oh my. Hey church, you know what this is right now? This is, this is called a call to action. If the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart right now, whatever you do, let go and let him have his way. Let go and let him have his way. So very quiet, would you stand with us all over the house this morning? Father, we thank you 
for this time that we've had together this morning. Lord, thank you for reminding us of that reservation. Thank you for reminding us of that resurrection. Lord, because of Jesus and his sacrifice, we can have hope. God, today I pray especially for those that have raised their hands and said, I am not sure that I'm going to heaven in just a moment. Help them to come. Help them to come quickly. Help them to come unreservedly. Lord, help them to come quickly. And I pray that they'll do business with the Lord. Someone here will meet them in the altar with a Bible and God show them how they can have that blessed hope and that peace that passeth all understanding. And then Lord, those that are going through times of heaviness and darkness and, and storminess, God, I pray that they'll come right now and just find a place around this altar. And, and Lord, I pray that you give them hope today. God, have your way in this invitation. Lord, please, please, please. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here right now and you raised your hand about salvation or, or hope or a burden, whatever it is, right now, if you were serious about that, I want you to step out. Wherever you're at right now, just step out and make your way down to this altar right now. Just step out and come. And we have some people that are just spread across the altar here. We would love to take a Bible and show you how you can know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. Hey, Calvary, would you help us pray? Would you help us pray right now that souls would come to the Lord? While we wait, would you, would you come? Would you come? Folks are in the altars. Do you need to join these? Would you come? Folks are coming. Would you come? There may be somebody here this morning says, Preacher, I'm so discouraged. Man, I've, I've, really, I've really contemplated quitting. I mean, I'm so discouraged right now. Something I'm going through and I'm, I'm so discouraged. I really just thought about throwing in the towel. Oh, listen, don't throw in the towel. Man, just come today and let him give you hope. Would you come? Would you come? Folks are getting help. Would you come? Now, if you raised your hand especially and said, Preacher, I'm not sure about heaven. Hey, you just find that nearest aisle right now. Just come on down, okay? So, Father, we thank you for your blessings. I'm so thankful for this service. I'm thankful, Lord, that I go to a church where there's help. God, I'm thankful I go to a place where the services are helpful. They're not hurtful, they're helpful, they're encouraging. They encourage us most of all to get to the Savior. But they also tell us that there's hope in the Savior. And Father, I pray today that you'd work. I don't know all that's going on on the altars this morning. But I'm glad you know, and I'm glad, Lord, that you can help. And, and I pray that you'll direct, and I pray that you'll encourage. And God, I pray that those who may feel like they don't have any hope, I pray they'll go back to their places today with a whole fresh perspective. Everything's going to be okay. I'm all right. I'm all right because he's all right. Lord, I pray especially for those who need to be saved. God, I pray that while we pause just for another few moments, I pray that those who need the Lord, I pray that they will come right now. And Lord, very simply, let us take a Bible and show them how they can know that they know they're going to heaven. 
God, Holy Spirit, have your way now, please. And we thank you for it all. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Folks are still getting some help. Anybody else need to step out? Anybody right on the edge?